just before I um, commence this morning. Uh, upon my uh, return to uh, what the Lord has called me to do as pastoring here in this church, one of the changes that uh, I wanted to make, which I know some of you have expressed, uh, is the desire to uh, be succinct in my preaching. Uh, and that's the goal. However, today is an exception to that rule. And I don't want you to think this is going to be uh, a new pattern. But today I just want to say that uh, what the Lord has put before me, which I had intended on finishing this week from last week's message, I cannot separate the two. I tried for many hours on Friday in preparation to separate these two thoughts. And I think I do injustice to the text if I do that. So that's why this morning we will have just a short break between uh, part one and part two. Um, and if you'll just be patient with me just today, and then we will return to 30, 35 minute messages, Lord willing, each week moving forward. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12, please. And if you would find verse one, and I'll read for us the first eight verses in this text. Romans 12 beginning in verse 1. Please avail yourself of a Bible up the back if you don't have one and follow along. Romans 12 and verse 1. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Last week, we learned that many, uh, excuse me, we learned that serving with our gifts in the body of Christ comes with some important prerequisites, which is the journey we're on. Although the Bible does not teach that we must be sinlessly perfect before we can minister, it is clear that we must keep short accounts with God and be striving for holiness in all manner of life. Remember that God is more concerned with who we are than what we do. That's critical to understand. God is more concerned with who we are, our character, than what it is that we do. In other words, we're saying that service and exercising of our spiritual gifts must flow from a life of surrender and consecration. Last week we looked at four prerequisites to service let me just quickly remind you if you were not here this will be for you first time from our text in Romans 12 first of all I must be a member of God's family if I'm going to serve in God's church I need to be a member of his family 
Number two, I must be motivated by the mercies of God or the gospel of God. Number three, I must be living a life of active, ongoing surrender. And then fourthly, last week we understood that we must be set apart to God. The Bible calls for holiness, a message that is seldom heard in churches today. Today, Lord willing, we're going to look at the two more prerequisites. I hope to finish this study today, but it's not going to happen. So two more prerequisites for our service from this passage. And I want to preach on this subject, prerequisites to service, part two. Let's just pray. Lord, again, I bow before you, uh, asking that you would provide me with uh, the words that come from on high. I don't just simply want to, uh, Lord, read words off a page here or be bound by the notes that have been prepared. I pray that you would uh, direct my thoughts, direct all of our thoughts in your word, that we would have a greater understanding of what it is you call us to. Uh, Lord, I am conscious of the fact that there may well be those in our midst today here who know not the truth of the gospel. I pray that even uh, in this matter of uh, spiritual gifts and uh, holiness and these different issues that we will be talking about and subjects, that in that the gospel would be seen and heard and clearly understood. Oh Lord, that today there might not be one in this place that is outside the camp, one that knows not the Lord Jesus. And Lord, for us who are already believers, we pray that you would help us today to get a greater understanding of these prerequisites to service, the importance of a life that is consecrated and surrendered before you, before we seek to serve. Lord, that our service would be fruitful and profitable here in this place and in this community uh, and uh, all across this land. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in my own heart and in our hearts yet to come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week I had some statements about what we must be. If you were here, you'll recall that. We must be certain things before we do. I would like to continue that with uh, two statements today, which I said will break up in two parts. Look at the text, if you would, in Romans 12 and verse 1 and 2 says, Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. All of those four things we looked at last week were from verse 1. Today, we want to look at verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing or the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So statement number one for us this morning is this. I must be opposed to cultural conformity. I must be opposed to cultural conformity. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. So what I'd like us to note, a few things here this morning. First of all, this is a command. This is not an optional extra. This is not a recommendation. Paul gives us here an imperative. That's what we call it. It is, do not be conformed. This is a rule. Now, a lot of times in Christianity, especially in New Testament Christianity from the Bible that we see, we hear a lot of people say things like, well, don't... Uh, uh, 
don't expunge my liberties in Christ. Don't, uh, you know, I'm free in Christ. I'm allowed to make choices. That's true. But we also must be bound by the imperatives of God's word. And the Bible says, do not be conformed to this world. I looked up a number of translations here and let me read you a couple. One text says, be not fashioned according to this world. Another reads, do not let yourselves be molded. The one that I really appreciated by J.B. Phillips said this, do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. That's a good translation of what Paul is saying here. Do not allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. It's interesting when you take your Bible and you look up this word conformed, you find that it only appears in one other place in the whole of the Bible, and that's in 1 Peter 1 and verse 14. This is what it says. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You say, what's the point? The point is this. It's interesting to note that in both passages that relate to not conforming to the world, holiness is referred to. Holiness and non-conformity go hand in hand. As we see in our text, in the previous verse, it says, holy. And then it says, do not be conformed to this world. So what is the world? That's really the question, isn't it? Because if we say do not be conformed to the world, we need to have an understanding. What is the world? Uh, Does that mean we shouldn't all drive cars because the world drives cars? Does it mean we shouldn't have coffee because everybody down the street has coffee? What does this mean? Do not be conformed to the world. In this text and in this context, the world speaks of the spirit of the age. It speaks of popular cultural thinking. That is in rebellion towards God. This does not mean that we should all sell our cars. This does not mean that we should not live in houses like the rest of the world, or well, a good portion of the world. That's not what this means. Interestingly, when we turn, which we won't, but if we looked at Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, here is what the Bible says Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. According to the will of our God and Father, Jesus Christ gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil thinking and the spirit of the age that Paul is speaking of here in this very text. The purpose of the gospel, one of the purposes was deliverance from worldly thinking. Now, you probably know this, but let me remind you. That it has always been the enemy's intention to pervert godly thinking. It's always been his intention. Since the Garden of Eden, right through to this day, the devil is seeking to have us think anti-theistic, against God. And you know what? He is having a field day in universities in colleges, in schools, and in the educational systems of our day. And church, it ought to cause us great distress. We ought to be terribly saddened and grief-stricken by all that the world is having uh, input by way of teaching to our family members and our friends and those around us. 
So crafty is the devil and so undiscerning is the church today that even our Bible colleges, our churches and our preachers are embracing what is popularly, what is popular culturally rather than adhering to God's revealed truth. And the truth is that most of us don't even see or know it. Most of us have become so undiscerning in our thinking that these things that I'm about to mention to us are not even perhaps at the forefront of our mind. Are you aware that God has called us as Christians to think differently to the world, to look differently from the world and to act differently from the world? I want to be very careful this morning and I have prayed so much about this this week. I don't want to be prescriptive in my preaching. What I mean is do this, 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 don't do this, this, this. I don't want to be that way this morning. However, I feel that it is necessary to shed some light on some of the culturally acceptable thinking which we are called to oppose. God says, do not be conformed to this world. I would fail in my duty as a minister of the gospel to not highlight at least some of these things. And so at the risk of personal suffering, because it may well come, I have no doubt that in due course, messages such as this that are recorded that will go on the internet will one day cost people's lives in what I'm about to say. But I cannot stay quiet on some of these matters. Let me give you some examples quickly of culturally acceptable thinking and activities which God opposes and they're in front of our face. Number one, immorality, adultery, pornography, premarital sex. Years ago, Christians, we used to get concerned and heart-wrenched at the thought of a young couple living together. Now it is so rampant. It is everywhere that it doesn't even bother us anymore. And as I thought about this myself and as I read the Puritans of yesteryear, I find that there was a a holy contempt for that sin. Not for the people. Never do we have a holy contempt for the people. But a holy contempt for sin. The Bible tells us that that is not right. That is sin. And yet that is all pervasive. In our culture, it's not unusual now to talk and hear and listen to young men and young women who are addicted to pornography. It's not unusual. It might be to some of you older folks, but let me tell you, it is rampant in our society. It is not unusual for a man to have left his wife and to be living in an affair or in adultery. That's not an unusual thing. And the culture says to us, you are free to do whatever you please. You are the master of your own destiny. Well, church, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, do not be conformed to the world. The second thing that I note that is becoming widespread, the lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgender lifestyle and marriage. Now, I please, I want to say right here at this point that there is not a person who is lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender that I would not sit down with and share the gospel with and hug them and welcome them into the kingdom of God if they will repent of their sin and trust in Jesus Christ. And there's not a single person in that category that I would not shake hands with down the road to say hello. We are not trying to be, uh, we don't want anything to do with those people. That's not what I'm saying one little bit. 
We are not homophobic. We're not. I don't care what the world says. We are not homophobic as Christians. We love the lost and we seek to bring them to the kingdom. However, we cannot condone that which God says is not okay. That which God says is evil. That which God says is against his holy character. Church, the world is espousing all kinds of things. But that doesn't mean we must accept it hook, line and sinker. It must line up with the scriptures. It must do for us to accept it. And the whole lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender movement is massive. And it's getting bigger and bigger. And it's entering into, dare I say, the church. God forbid. Number three, evolutionism. I cannot believe... I cannot believe how widespread this has become. I cannot believe how many schools and universities and how many even Christians are talking today about evolutionism based on the fact that science tells them this. I do not care one little bit what science has to say when it is in total contradistinction to God's word. My Bible says the first four words, in the beginning, God. If you believe the first four words of the Bible, you can believe the rest of it. In the beginning, God. God created. Now you can talk about all these other things. about Well, he did it this way. That's not the discussion. We need to understand that God is the creator. You have a purpose. God designed you as part of, of him and his overall family of God's people, not in the sense of everybody's saved. That's not what I'm saying. We all have been created in the image of God. You have a purpose. Evolution tells us that we have no more worth than a tossed salad. That's what evolution tells us. That is not what we are to conform to. Number four, psychology. Oh, this one bothers me. If you want to get, uh, if you want to get into a discussion with me on psychology, you'll find that uh, that's one thing that really revs me up. I'm not saying that everything in the psychology, psycho, psychological uh, framework is totally wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that psychology is a man-centered concept. It does not take the Bible as its basis and foundation and therefore many of its theses are wrong. Psychology, self-esteem, self-love, self-image, all of these concepts are contrary to God. We find our worth not in ourselves but in Jesus Christ. That's where our worth is found. Number five, this one bothers me a great deal too. Abortion and euthanasia. God made life and God is the only one who has the right to end life and that's Bible that's cultural thinking that is opposed to God number six the pursuit of wealth fame and prosperity nothing wrong with having a job nothing wrong with having plenty of money that's fine but the pursuit of it it's my idol it's my goal all I want to do in this life is have more money that's the dollar drives me. If that's your mentality, that is worldly conformity. That's what the world says. I just need another dollar more. I just need this. I need to grow this. Pursuit of wealth, fame and prosperity. Number seven, last one on this list for now. Immodesty. It used to bother the children of God when they would see people dressed immodestly. Immodesty is not what God is interested in. 
That is not what God says is okay. We look at the world today and it's hard, particularly men for us and also ladies, but particularly for us men. I can barely walk through a mall, a shopping centre today, with all that goes on in those places, how hard it is to maintain purity in your own heart when you walk through a place like that. Immodesty is rampant, and yet we are not called to be those who dress like that. And I'm not just talking about ladies. I'm talking about men. I cannot believe what happens today in our society, although I can believe it because we are sin-laden, but we are not called to that. We are called to be modest and chaste and pure, and people are supposed to look at our countenance and see in us a joy and that which is from Jesus Christ. But yet today, when we look in our culture, we see rampant immodesty, all-pervasive immodesty. These and many other things have been accepted by so-called believers but are in complete opposition to God's word. We need to understand we are called to be different, called to be separate from this world. And just to continue along some of these lines for just a moment longer here, I just want to point out some of the results that happen when we as God's people begin to accept cultural conformity. What happens when the church no longer says... It's not okay to do this. It's not okay to do this. I will not conform to that, this or whatever. What happens? Well, let me give you a few things here. Pastors and preachers do not meet the biblical criteria. That's what happens. Leaders in churches begin to say, well, you know what? It was just a little problem. It was just this or that. No longer do we go to the scripture and say, what is the criteria laid out in scripture for the man who is called to pastor or preach? We lose that. One of the saddest things that happens, I find one of the other results is the erosion of truth from the pulpit. Oh, this last week and the last few weeks, I have had countless opportunities to talk to people who have said to me, we just wish we could get some truth in our church. Thankfully, they're not from our church. That's good news. And we just wish that the person who is leading our church would take the scriptures and teach us what the scripture says. Um, you need to understand, church, that we are blessed, not because of my teaching. That's not what I'm saying. But because we believe the Bible and will teach the Bible. So many places won't do it anymore. There is an erosion of the truth. There are people up the front who are just interested in telling stories, who are interested in in tickling people's ears and making people feel comfortable. and, And aren't we just having a wonderful time? No, we're not. Because a wonderful time is being saturated with the truth of God's word and then living it out. The erosion from the pulpit, it is everywhere because we have become culturally conformed. We're more interested in what pleases ourselves than what pleases God. One of the other great problems that comes as a result of some of these things is a misunderstanding or a misappropriation of leadership in the family and the church. Uh, We have this feministic movement, and please, again, this is not about dictatorial-type teaching this morning. God says that he placed men to be the leaders of the households. It says it in his word. That does not mean that the women, the wives or the children are somehow not those, not people anymore or they're just slaves. That's not what the Bible teaches. But it does tell us that ultimately, men, we are responsible for our households. We have been given that right and responsibility. And boy, we better get it right because one day we will stand in judgment of it. 
Leadership in the family and the church has gone so skewiffed today. It is so mixed up. No wonder nobody knows what's going on. There's disengagement from holiness and purity in the church. No longer is the church saying, we must be a holy people. They're saying, we can do whatever we like. Let's just get on with it. Let's do whatever feels good. God forbid that attitude would be in the church. Perhaps saddest of all is this next one. There is an indifference towards sin and its implications. It used to be that the church of Jesus Christ was concerned about sin, was concerned about the fact that we are sinners and depraved. Yes, we've been made holy in Christ, but every day of my life I'm supposed to be living in a way that pleases God. Now we just overlook our sin. Now we overlook what we do and we make all these excuses as though God is somehow okay with our lifestyle. God has called us to be holy. That's hard. That means I have to reject my flesh. I have to reject the world. I have to reject the devil. I have to put these things aside. And it's an ongoing battle. Here's a good question for you. Are you battling as a Christian? Because if you're not battling, you've probably given in the fight. This is hard work. This week alone, I have felt in my own character, in my own heart, trying to deal with these issues, how strong the enemy has been seeking to get in. I felt it stronger than I have in years, that in everything that I am seeking to do for the Lord in my life, there the enemy is there, and my flesh is there, and the world is all engaged against me. If you are not battling, you're probably not fighting. We've lost the concern for sin and what it does in our life. Other results include that we can't overcome our sinful addictions. If we conform to culture, we devalue our lives that are made in, in God's image. And then we have a desire for temporal blessings and prosperity without concern for eternity. You know, the average Christian today is not concerned about eternity. Not concerned about things that matter past this life. The eternal matters. So many are so engaged in temporal things, we don't even think about eternity. How we need to heed the warning of Paul in Colossians 2.8 that says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy. Empty deceit, according to the traditions of men, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Cultural thinking. So before we move on and before we take a break in just a few moments, I just want to give us some wise, practical applications. Some real rubber-hits-the-road type applications this morning. See, being holy and not conformed to this world requires amputation. It requires self-denial. And this is particularly difficult in a culture that is hedonistic, meaning we are lovers of pleasure. It's very hard to live the Christian life in a culture of hedonism. So you're ready for this. Again, I don't want to be prescriptive. And I don't want to be bold and brash, but I want to make reference to some areas that we must be examining church in our own lives. So here we go. Number one, entertainment. 
to everybody just go, oh, not entertainment. I love my entertainment. Entertainment. Let me say this to us this morning. The Christian who spends a lot of time in front of movies and TV shows will unknowingly begin to conform to worldly thinking and practice. Now, please do not say, Daniel said, I'm not allowed to watch a movie. I'm not allowed to do it. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is we must be very, very careful. These things are not made to encourage Christians. Do we get that? Hollywood's catchphrase is not building up Christians. Now, that's not their point. That's not their purpose. The entertainment world is full of subtlety. And without careful vigilance, the child of God will soon be sliding down the slippery slope to worldliness and debased thinking. That is the reality. In other words, if you get nothing else out of these few things I'm going to say here, what you conform to, or excuse me, what you concentrate on, you will conform to. What you concentrate on. That's what you're going to become like. Husbands, fathers in the room, men, let me just charge you with something for a moment. As I mentioned before, we are called to leadership in our homes. We set the spiritual tone. We cannot be flippant and lackadaisical about this high calling. And we must stay abreast of what is happening in the world. We are not called to cocoon Christianity. We're not called to monastery Christianity. We need to understand what is happening in the world and then allow, as we see fit before the Lord, what is appropriate into our homes and give reasons why we won't do certain things. For example, if you don't know why your children and family should not watch Disney's new Beauty and the Beast, you better find out why. Okay, came out last week. You should go and find out why my family are not going to be watching Disney's new Beauty and the Beast. And there is a good reason. Find out. Find out why you're not going to let J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter into your home. Why should I not let that happen? Why is that a problem? Why is it that my children or my wife or my family should not see those things? That's our responsibility, men. Please get this. Don't sacrifice your spiritual life and the lives of those in your care on the altar of entertainment. Be resolved with David and say, I will ponder the way that is blameless. I will walk with integrity of my heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless or wicked. I hate the work of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Psalm 101 verse 2 to 4. Wouldn't that be good on our houses? A plaque just above our television. That would really sort out what we watch. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. Entertainment. Number two, music. The Bible doesn't say. Okay, I'm not going to be a preacher who says this. The Bible does not say you cannot watch or listen to secular music. It doesn't say that. But, and there is a but, we need to be very, very careful. Most, most of today's popular music is filled with lyrics and suggestive phrases that oppose the truth and purity of God's word. You're all familiar with this scene. A teenager has these big headphones on their ears with an iPod in their pocket walking down the street. Right? We've all seen that. Happens all day long nowadays. All day there is music coming into that ear gate. They think naively, that young person thinks naively, I'm just listening to some popular tunes. But in actual fact, 
They are filling their impressionable mind with lies from hell. Oh, how careful we must be. Guard your ears and test all that is said and sung through the lens of God's word. Remember that what comes in the eye gate, what comes in the ear gate will inevitably end and occupy our hearts. And Solomon, the wise man, said this, guard your heart with all vigilance. From out of it flow the issues of life. Proverbs 4.23. So entertainment, be careful. Music, be careful. Literature, number three. I found this interesting. Google proposes, not that I think Google has ever read this, but Google proposes that there are 129,864,880 different books in the entire world. That's a lot of literature. Of this great number, the majority are secular in content and therefore written from a human worldview. Again, this does not mean they're all wrong. We're not saying that at all. But we do need to understand that we must be ever so careful about what we and others around us fill their minds with from secular literature. Here's what I find interesting when I read books, and I read a lot of books. In nearly every publication that deals with the subject of evolution today, it is not expressed as a theory It is expressed as objective truth, a fact. They do not say this is a theory unproven that we would like you to understand. They say this is fact, proven fact. It's not true. The novels, the articles, the blogs, the newspapers, the magazines and the courses that we read must go so carefully through We must go through them so carefully so as not to fill our minds with unprofitable or detrimental information. Literature. Number four, and lastly, before we take a little break, is education. Education. Again, going to a secular school or university is not intrinsically evil, but we must be aware of the many dangers associated with such. James warns us about a wisdom which does not originate with God, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, James 3.15. This kind of wisdom is what predominantly reigns in our culture and is most effectively administered in the educational institutions of our day. I read an article just recently about the fact that secondary colleges are now giving out condoms to students in order to help them understand safe sex rather than teaching them about purity and sexual fidelity for the marriage bed. Folks, that's evil. That's evil at the very heart. We don't need our teenagers to understand safe sex. We need our teenagers to understand that before God, you are to remain pure because that is what he says. That God has prepared for you a particular person and God designed it that you would be pure. What an evil thing to be going through secondary colleges. Primary schools and kindergartens are telling their, their students that we evolved from monkeys, that we have no real purpose or destiny. They're told to forge their own way in this life, to eat, to drink and be merry, for there's no afterlife. This falsehood grieves the heart of God, who is entirely responsible for all of creation, and who made every man, woman, boy and girl, those children in his image and for his purpose. Universities. I could preach a whole message on universities. 
Wow, have they infiltrated our land with the teaching and the notion of subjectivity. This is the idea that whatever you think is fine, whatever I think is fine, there are no absolutes. There's no certainty of truth in any area. Your faith and your belief is just as noble as mine, but neither can be verified or declared objective. Well, that's interesting because you know what the Bible says? Jesus said, your word is truth. Truth. Objective truth. John 17, 17. Proverbs 30, the author writes, every word of God is true and pure. Our culture would have us believe all kinds of things. But it is essential to our Christian character and our service for Christ that we oppose the cultural norms of our day. How do we do this? How are we going to oppose the cultural norms of our day, the teaching that is everywhere, and our children? How are we going to protect them? How are we going to protect this generation of Christians from all that is going on in the world? And boy, is it going fast. How are we going to do that? That's what we're going to look at in just a few minutes. So let's take a two-minute break. If you want to get yourself a hot drink, do that. That's fine. And let's come back, and hopefully we're ready. Stand up, do your stretches if you need to. And then I want us to look at what it means to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Let's take a couple of minutes. Thank you.